Good day to all the unfuckers from around the globe. The domestic unfuckers looking to fix our home and the international unfuckers rooting for us to get our poop in a group. Get your poop in a group, because that's what we want to do, right? <laughs> we all want our poop in a group. Welcome to show notes for episode 66, part one of the Clinton years. This is a rare three-part series because Clinton really represented the entire decade of the 90s. We decided to go a little deeper into these years because Clinton's tenure signaled the death of the liberal wing of the Democratic Party, the formal break from the New Deal and Great Society era of the party, and the real beginning of the coastal elite latte-sipping corporate free market technocrat era. In part one, we started with the lessons not learned by the Clintons as evidenced by the approach of their controversial foundation. This weekend, we're going back to look at the roots of the New Democrats movement and how it shaped Clinton's policies and attitude toward governing. Then, in two weeks, we'll conclude with the Clinton presidential era. All good stuff. Just a reminder to our listeners that we are 100% listener-supported, either through the purchase of our unfucking line of organic coffee in partnership with the Native Coffee Traders on the Puspatuck Reservation, or direct donations and memberships through buymeacoffee.com UNFTR. Every dollar raised goes to Offset 99's marijuana and jam band habit, Manny's 17 children and counting, and my need for adulation. As for today, Rome is burning, Nero is fiddling, and 99 and I are here in the studio today ready to hash it out and unfuck the Republic. 99, you ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. All right, well, we're going to start with emails. So our first email is from Timor S., this is a great email. Uh, it's a little bit long, so bear with me. But they say, I love the deep dive into the coming of age of neoliberalism, probably one of my favorite topics. On the foundation part, you touched very briefly on why the type of philanthropy that is done at the Clinton Foundation is problematic beyond all the wealth hoarding. You said something about the power dynamic that exists between decision makers in those philanthropic institutions, usually technocrats, Ivy League educated, wealthy, white, cis males, and the people doing the work on the ground. And it made me realize that it's a topic that wasn't covered in depth on the channel and wanted it as a potential topic as well and to offer some of my time and energy for the research part if you'd like. First of all, Timor, I think uh, we'll take you up on that. If you have any resources that you would like to send over to us, I'm all ears because I think this is a fantastic, fantastic topic to explore more deeply. In another life and thing that we do, 99 and I actually had a great conversation with a woman who runs a, a pretty substantial foundation here in the States, but they do a lot of work in a rural part of another country. And she gave us an example once that, that always stuck with me. And the example was there was a, a big effort to bring water resources to very rural, very hot, desolate parts of the country that she did some work in. And one of the unanticipated consequences of that type of work was that the women whose job it was within these tribal regions were upset that the water resources were brought directly into their villages because the actual process of obtaining water, which was usually a very long walk and a very arduous and very physical uh, process, was the only time that they felt that they could be themselves and escape the patriarchal, misogynistic lifestyle 
that and culture that existed within their individual villages. And I think I held on to that because, you know, water is so fundamental and it seemed like such a no-brainer, but it's one of these concepts where unless you're there on the ground and doing the work and understanding what exactly you're trying to fix and then the best way to go about it for that particular situation, you don't really understand what the unintended consequences might be of some of something that is, I mean, anybody looking at that situation would think, well, this is a great thing. But still people were put out by it because there was a, there was a lack of understanding about the cultural attitudes that existed on the ground. Very much aligned with what we were talking about here with the Clinton Foundation and how they took examples of something that worked really well because of a very particular set of circumstances and relationships and then applied that, took that circumstance and created a philosophy and then applied that philosophy writ large to all of their endeavors. That's what the Clinton Foundation has really done. But that's what a lot of organizations and institutions do that are well-meaning, have a ton of resources, are able to fundraise very effectively to gather momentum around certain ideas. Let's say the Red Cross comes to mind, or maybe it's uh, the United Way. The United Way is an umbrella organization, is a funding mechanism. I don't really have a problem with it, but it's really a lot of the sub-chapters that on the ground that do a lot of the better work, as an example. But my guess is if we delve into this more, we're going to uncover a lot of this and how there is a misalignment of motives and outcomes in these bigger organizations that can attract a lot of funding and a lot of the work that really desperately needs to get done is better served by just giving money to these places and some education and resources to, in a more self-determined and culturally aligned way, affect the change that they want. There's a lot there. And I actually have a I have a, a book that I read a couple of years ago called, I think it was called Doing Good Better. And somebody that I know from, again, another life who did a lot of this type of work, I think she was in the Obama administration. And then afterwards, the last few years, she's been doing a lot of this type of work. She might be a really good resource for us as well. But Timor, I'll look to take you up on that. Any resources you can get us started with would be terrific. Any other unfuckers that have insights into that, please let us know as well. And if you'll beg my indulgence, I'm going to go right into the next one here. This is another email that I love. It's from David E. And David is down under. David says, Australia has long had a few independents in parliament. These representatives have generally been anomalies voted in because of particular local issues, but not this time. And perhaps this is of interest to U.S. listeners. Over the last few election cycles, there has been an increasing dissatisfaction in some of the more affluent educated electorates with the stodgy incompetence of the conservative government who largely took these high-information voters for granted and insulted them by assuming their vote and feeding them bullshit culture war stuff. In around eight of these electorates, community groups were formed, then went hunting for candidates. They selected almost all women who were characterized by astonishing records of achievement across a variety of professions, but none had political experience. Six of these women got voted in with huge swings around incumbent conservatives of up to 15%, unseating them. Some of the seats they won have been held by conservatives since Federation. They were very well supported by canny, competent, and well-funded organizations, some having thousands of on-the-ground support workers. It's likely in our next election that these women will be returned and that the movement will spread. 
No one in our political class believed this was possible, just as I imagine that the U.S. political class would not believe it is possible in your country. We now have 17 independents, including four Greens in a lower house of 151, all but one of whom are socially progressive. This is a formidable barrier to the return of the Liberal Party to power in this country. So for obvious reasons, I love this email. One of the things that stands out about it is that these candidates were women. And I believe that part of what has helped transform the progressive political class in the United States has been the ascendant and, and surge of powerful, very highly competent women into the progressive fold. So I'm talking about the Katie Porters and the Cori Bushes, AOC, Pramila Jayapal, Ayanna Presley, the ones that we talk about a lot. I think these women have done a really great, incredible job in reshaping, reforming the progressive part of the Democratic Party and also showing other would-be candidates what is possible in an era where women and women's health and women's rights is completely under assault. I think it portends good things for the political future. I couch that always in the fact that we don't have a lot of time because of climate change and because of a lot of other disappearing rights and economic fragilities that have uh, helped increase inequality in this country. So I, I feel like these things are very pressing. But if we're going to have some sort of progressive, like true authentic progressive resurgence that shows up in policy and legislation, it's probably going to be, be from women entering the political calculus of the Democratic Party and, and reshaping the narrative there. Yas, King. Pop off. Slay. <laughs> we were talking, boss. but we were talking off mic before about how for every Ayanna Presley, there is a Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's a Lauren Boebert for every AOC. So this isn't to paint all political women with one brush. And obviously. Hashtag not all women. Not all women. Not and good. Amy Coney Barrett, for example, being on the Supreme Court. <laughs> Trash. You can't just say that. You just can't paint everybody with one brush. But I, I do believe, just with respect to the progressives within the Democratic caucus, they're the ones that are sh helping to shift policy, procedure, and, and minds to the left to make them more acceptable. Now, obviously, they're going to be lightning rods for the right. And they're going to be lightning rods for the establishment Democrats. No matter what goes wrong, they're going to say that it is these women on the left that are pulling the party too far, I right? thought you were going to say these women on their periods. <laughs> Why would you think I was going to say that? Because they love to be like, women can't be in power because if they had their period, they're going to bomb Russia. Yep. Like what they all said about fucking Hillary running for president. So I thought you were making a joke. Ah, I didn't think you actually thought that. That was one of my Jordan Klepper, favorite Jordan Klepper moments. Jordan Klepper fingers the pulse of America. When he's interviewing a woman outside of the Trump rally and she says, you know, well, what happens if a female president gets her period? She's going to start a war. And he says, but haven't all wars been started by men? <laughs> and she just goes totally silent and stares off into the distance. Those videos, I can watch them endlessly because they never get old and the people don't change. You know, it's the same with, with abortion right now with the we'll adopt your children or choose adoption. And they go like, how many children have you adopted? And they go. None. We weren't able to. We had two naturally, and it goes down the line. Right. And then they kind of look around and realize, like, hmm, 
Like you can see an inkling of realizing maybe it doesn't sound too great that you're all telling people to choose adoption when you're not adopting any babies. And oh, cool. So will you start with the 400,000 kids exactly. in foster care today? Yeah, that's the thing of those. Did you see the memes of the people who actually like had the signs that said, we'll adopt your baby? Did you see those? No. So it's like th there was one specific couple going around because they looked like it looked like a like a horror movie. It was like the sequel to Get Out. These two fucking white people being like, we'll adopt your baby. And everyone was just like fucking roasting them because it's like, no, you won't. Right. You're not adopting the other babies out there. <laughs> what's going to what's going to start now? It's just so fucked up. But yeah, so women on their periods. <laughs> women. Am I right? Um, let's move on to Ziggy. <laughs> So Ziggy said, I find it really hilarious and not at all surprising that Tucker Carlson is a deadhead. There's a pretty big overlap between far-right conspiracy smut peddlers and far-left followers of New Age bullshitism. There's plenty of both in the law, and I find more and more that one bleeds into the other. If UNFTR has taught me one thing, it's to meet people right the fuck where they are, even if that place feels icky. Except for Tucker Carlson, that guy can suck a billion baboon dicks. A billion? It's a lot. He's gonna be busy. Quite busy. For a long time. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we talked about it last week too. The same similar thing that those people, they're everywhere, you know? You never know. Yeah. And I and I wonder when we talk about you and I have had a conversation recently about even off mic about the jam band audience and that it's predominantly white. And I you know, I can remember going to festivals. Again, I'm dating myself. This is back in the 90s. And I feel like there was more of a crossover among audience members because there was jazz, funk, and jam bands kind of like all on the same bills. I don't remember what festival circuit that was necessarily, but I felt like it was more diverse. But I understand that individual shows might have a pretty homogenous following. But that's also what leads me to understand that a white conservative male like, like a Tucker Carlson can sort of hide in that environment. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, jam obviously has influences in, in music that was started and created by black people. Well, all music was started and created <laughs> by black people. So every fucking, all music does. But, you know, there's plenty of funk and jazz, as you said, more funk, but, you know, all jam bands play some funk and then funk bands overlap with the jam circuit. But, but yeah, I mean, the bands are, are the bands are diverse, but the audiences aren't as much, so. You know, in recent years, there's been like hate crimes happening at there was um, an incident, I think, at the Gorge at a fish show where two black people were fucking like horrendously assaulted. One of them was hit over the head with a rock and was like in serious critical where condition was this? at the Gorge. It's like a, it's a outdoor venue. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it wasn't a shooting. It was a fucking terrible incident with a, a man <laughs> or an earth weapon, you know. Yeah, I, I think they I think they arrested someone because I mean this is this is tangenting, but uh, nitrous is rampant in the jam community. After shows, the streets are littered with balloons. It's disgusting, and the police just they don't care. Like you can you can leave Madison Square Garden after a fish show, and there'll be plenty of cops around and just nitrous people selling nitrous everywhere. They don't care. I, yeah, I don't know. So it's we call it the nitrous mafia. I mean, like I, I not like just whippets. Us. Yeah, like they have they have a, a what looks like a helium tank, but it's nitrous. We thought that was really funny when we were little. Turns out it's kind of dangerous. Oh yeah, it's really bad <laughs> for your brain. But yeah, it's like you know they sell them ice cold fatties, five dollars. They call them ice cold fatties. Um, and it's a huge problem. So I think there was one at that. I'll have to fact check myself, but I'm pretty sure there was 
a member of the Nitrous Mafia who had a fucking huge swastika tattoo. So I think they maybe pulled, put, you know, connected the dots mm. and it was, it was in there because it's like, you know, most people, I usually feel pretty safe at jam shows because I'm fairly certain that everyone is there because they want to be there. You know what I mean? Or right. their partner dragged them along or their friend. But it's not like you don't just really stumble into a jam show. So I'm like, I feel pretty safe. And also I'm not necessarily a prime target for people. But um, it was just like a big wake up call for a lot of people in the community that maybe it's not a, not as safe a space as it should be for people of color. But, but yeah, it can happen anywhere, I guess. I think it's such a welcoming. I think it should be such a welcoming place. That's why it's so disappointing. Well, look what happened when. What's the name of the, the young hip hop artist? I don't even know if you call it, if you would call it hip hop. I'm sure Manny can. Which that young man who does the rap. <laughs> I'm sure Manny can punch in and help me here, but the hip hop artist with the country hit crossover. Oh, little X. Yes. Yeah, he's hip hop. Of course he is. He's hip hop. Yeah. Uh, but what is the? the is well, he like a mumble rap? What do you call no. that new? Uh, he's not that. I mean, again, Manny can correct, but I don't believe he'd be considered in the mumble rap, mumble corp, SoundCloud rapper But genre. I mean, people were so angry. Well, yeah, because he put out a song that was a country song and it hit the country charts. And it wasn't even like a traditional country song, but it's it's such a good... I love that. I love Lil Nas X. He's amazing. I think he's a great... You know, he's gay and I think he's a great influence for people and for young gay men of color and women of color, but just having an, like someone who's so open about who they are and just doing what they want. He attracts um, a lot of criticism, right? From yeah, the right? Because, well, because he's black, he's gay, he's open about it. He's not afraid to be, quote unquote, a little feminine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he uses satanic imagery because it's funny. And so it's like he's just he's just pushing every button for fun too. But him. yeah, so he had um, Old Town Road, Old Town Road. Yeah, thank you, God. country cr- country song, and people were like, "This shouldn't be on the charts, whatever." And then hero Billy Ray Cyrus said, "Fuck it, who are you to dictate?" And he did a, he did um, a version which I think is the best one, where he like features on the song, and that one that one hit the charts too. And then he kept doing like more different versions and they all kept charting. So then he had like a bunch of different versions of Old Town Road on the charts. But but yeah, people people hate him because he's different. Manny, has there ever been crossover into the jam band world from the hip hop world? Can you think of anything? Yeah. uh, So Jay-Z did come out with Fish. Hmm. I'm trying to think. That's the only one on the top of my mind. But I bet there's been, I mean... People, I think there's an underestimation, especially, I'm trying to think of how best to phrase it. I think people think that, like, like Fish is so mainstream, and they really are. I know it doesn't seem it, but, like, they're fucking huge. You know, they, yeah. they sell it every time they're at the garden. They yeah. sell out. They sell, so does Billy Joel 73 it's times. Not, it's not a competition. <laughs> it's truly not. And I think they surpassed him for a number of... Nope. I think they did. Nope. I'm pretty I don't even know what the end of your sentence is, but nope. Okay. Well, no one is no one's doubting <laughs> Billy Joel. That's what I'm saying. I know you love him too. I'm just yeah. kidding. So I think that people underestimate him so I or him. See now you have me talking yes, about Billy I Joel. Do. But I think people don't realize the how mainstream into the music community Fish is and how many people just know who Fish is and have seen Fish. So I'm pl- I'm sure plenty of hip hop artists or rappers or I feel like an old white man when I say hip hop artists. Doesn't you know? I feel like an even older one when I say rapper. That's true. It's just not something a I can say. A rapist. Um, 
But yeah, I'm sure plenty of people have been there. Because how can you not? Like, check out other music. Get into it. Okay. Hey, y'all. It's Manny Faces. Uh, I was aware of maybe one kind of hip-hop jam band collaboration. And when I went looking for it, I found an article that went into some detail and highlighted a couple more. So I'm going to pass that link along, and I assume it'll show up in show notes. I was kindly corrected by Marcos as we move on through emails, by the way. And I love being I love being corrected so kindly but firmly. Here's Marcos. Hey, loves. I was having a bad day, so this might just be me. But on the Fuck You Prager You episode, you had a line about, why don't we have these billionaires? Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. It's not the biggest thing, but I do feel the need to lovingly pinch your side to remind you that we should have no billionaires. So I was talking about the billionaire class funding conservative outlets and I guess saying, well, where are my billionaires at? Because they're always lined up the Peter Thiels of the world backing the Glenn Greenwalds of the world and all their libertarian outlets. And then you've got the Wicks family that basically founded and established PragerU and the Koch brothers. Yes, I know one is dead, but the Koch family backing all the think tanks. And we have what? George Soros, right? I think that's usually about it. That's that's our billionaire. But Marcos is right. The whole premise of this show is I have nothing against billionaires. I have everything against a system that allows for the creation of them. So I shouldn't be looking for any because we shouldn't have any. Marcos, thanks for pinching my side. And we shouldn't have any because people should fucking give the excess money away. If you've made billions of dollars, good for you. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. In the current and system. And also. In the current system. In the current system. And also, we need real structural reform that doesn't allow for that type of wealth accumulation. So much of it is in the in the tax code. It's incredible. A lot of it is in union representation, the workforce really taking hold again, taking root and taking control of the economic future of this country. But Marcos, your point, very well taken. Thank you. Well, speaking of white men, <laughs> since they're the billionaires, Matthew said, great podcast. However, please stop with the woke racism towards white men. If I was the CIA and I wanted to fragment the left, I would push the idea of woke racism. You're helping to fracture us. Stop doing the work for them. So I'll speak to this as a white dude that I I actually can understand how white men feel like they are under attack because so much of the narrative is focused against us. So I understand that because we're the ones with everything to lose. The implication there is that we're the ones with everything. So nobody likes to lose anything, even if you have it all. But the one thing that I will say, Matthew, is we can't call it woke racism toward white men because, and again, we, we spend a lot of time talking about language. We can talk about prejudice. We can talk about racism. Racism is a reflection of a structural imbalance you cannot be racist towards somebody that is or a group that is more powerful than you. When you hold all of the keys, all of the cultural, societal, and economic keys and justice and criminal justice keys, you can't be discriminated against in a racist way. Racism is more about power 
than it is. Now, prejudice is something that we all have. Right now, there is a great deal of antipathy and prejudice toward white men because of the historic accumulation of such power and our determination that we are never going to part with it and that we will do anything to subjugate those beneath us in order to maintain it and hold on to it. So there is a, when we talk about woke, the idea of being woke means that you are awakening to certain realities and you're beginning to see things for what they are, not where you are in relationship to the to the rest of the world. You're beginning to see things for, for real for the first time. That's the idea of being woke. And so it's okay to be woke and to awaken from this slumber of institutionalized racism and economic injustice. That's okay. And as white men, it's okay for us to now finally shut the fuck up and take a back seat, says the guy who started a podcast. Mm -hmm. And also, we don't really use the word woke anymore. It's a little hack because it's like the bare minimum. And it was weaponized by the right. You know, Ben Shapiro being like, woke snowflakes. Yeah. Even though they're the snowflakes. Jesus, is there a more sensitive group? I know that clip you played of. Dennis Prager being like, they have whatever they he they have a patent on victimhood. We're not we're not allowed to be victims. Only they are. And I was like, you've made us victims because of the way you treat us, but you feel victimized by everything. And no no group has been more persecuted than the unvaccinated. Yeah, not even enslaved people. That was that was truly it was. It's disgusting that you can say that and get away with it. Prager. Like, first you're going to compare fucking the AIDS epidemic and then bring slavery into it. It's it's just savage. Such a toxic person. Um, I I do. I want to meet Matthew where he is because I understand. So so here's the rub. White men have all the power. And if they feel like they are under attack constantly, why would they? want to play along, right? Because the white men who are being attacked are the bad ones. No, I understand that. I know, but I'm telling you. Yes. So I I get this feeling. So Matthew, probably among the woke, probably among the the liberal, the progressive that wants to see better, do better, and wants more equity. But nobody wants to be under attack, even if you're the one that's, that's holding all the power. So I get it. All we're doing, though, is giving more credence to the people you can't let them steal the thunder is is really the point you can't let the right steal that thunder just because they keep claiming fucking words and topics right that woke was a good thing because people were awakening to the realities of the world and then they turned it into a meme they appropriated it and they weaponized it as 99 said but you can't give into it and then just start changing the language just because somebody else fucking took that word and weaponized it. Like we have to lean into the fact that no, 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 we're sticking by our guns. You shut the fuck up. We've got we've got work to do, and we're going to widen our tent over here, still with the recognition that white men in this country have all the power, and then we have to let go of some of it. So I get where you're coming from. I just don't think it's realistic to always keep moving the goalposts within our own movement just because somebody else is weaponizing that language. Does that make sense? It does, but I don't I don't I think what you're saying, what Matthew's saying are different. I don't think Matthew cares that the the right has taken the word woke. That was just me 
you know, saying, oh, we just don't say that. No, but I think that was a good reading into it. I think that that, that your interpretation of that was, was sort of implied in his concept of, of, you know, stop attacking woke. No, I think he's saying that we're being too quote. I think he's using it in the, and Matthew, please feel free to write back in with, with what you meant. But I think Matthew was saying, stop blaming white people. You're being too woke about it. You're being too PC. Mm. And because I think it's coming from a sort of slightly more centrist like center view of like it seems like Matthew's more centered than us. Got it. That's that's my that was my All interpretation. Right. Well, Matthew definitely cleared up for yeah, us because I think if you didn't feel that I think if he didn't feel that way he would have written it differently. Okay. And again, like I said, I'm I'm speaking for Matthew. Please, as am I. So and right not appropriate. In. Yeah, Matt, you, you had a very short. We're we're encouraging you to tell us more. Yeah. There you go. But also maybe you know. Take a look at your own white privilege and. <laughs> yeah, we all have to look at our white privilege. You included. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm, con- I'm I'm very aware <laughs> of it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's look at Karen P. What did what did Karen have to say? Karen said, "I just listened to this interview of Jamie Suskind, Suskind, Sus- Suskind. I think it's Suskind on my local NPR radio station KZYX, and would like to pass it on to you and FTR listeners. So, it's an interview called." Digital Republic on Freedom and Democracy in the 21st Century. So I will link that. Jamie Suskind is a British barrister and the author of multiple award-winning bestseller, Future Politics, Living Together in a World Transformed by Tech. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Dig it. Now, Michelle K. wrote in and said, I hear a lot about which podcast brought listeners to you, but I thought you'd like to know that your podcast has brought me to Swash. That's straight white American Jesus. Best of the left and blowback. All are fantastic. Thank you for sharing the pod love. Then she goes on to say that I can't take credit for it, but many people have been calling him, we're talking about Ron DeSantis now, many of people have been calling him Ron Death Sentence, first because of this horrible leadership with COVID, but now his forced birth stance on the overturning of Roe. So we actually got a lot of feedback. We have one other that I think we're going to call out a little bit later, uh, but we had a lot of people that corrected us. I think, uh, what did I call him? Ron Fuckstickus? Yeah, defuckstick. Defuckstick, right? Um, Ron Dick Santis was one of the ones that uh, got a couple of votes. Ron Death Sentence appears to be uh, the one that is pulling away. Yeah, right. I think it was an accepted one. When when people wrote in, I remembered it. Like yeah. during COVID. I like it. I like it a lot. During, Ron we're Death still Sentence. during COVID. I I don't want to be one of those people who's like pre-pandemic or po- we're post-pandemic. We're mid-pandemic. Yeah, we are. We're mid-pandy. So <laughs> I'm not one of those. Mid-pandy. Don't worry. I hope we're tail end pandy, but it just doesn't feel like it, does it? No. Uh, so thank you for uh, Michelle and everybody else who wrote in, giving us the name that will heretofore be Ron DeSantis's name, Ron Death Sentence. So Ash said, I remember being referenced in other episodes or show notes, but has there been any talk on a deep dive of the representation of the opioid, of the opioid, opioid? <laughs> Ew, what kind of laugh was that? Sorry. <laughs> Gross. Um, On the opioid epidemic versus the crack cocaine epidemic in the public. Personally, as a person of color, it's hard to hear about the way many black people were affected by the war on black people. I mean, drugs versus the outcry of sympathy and investment of resources during the current situation. Ash, yes, all of this. We're going to cover more of this during part three of the Clinton years. We actually did a an episode, the war on drugs and mass incarceration maybe about a year ago, I think it is. 
Um, can you dig that out for show notes and, and link that in there just in case Ash hasn't heard it? Yeah, of course. So we'll link that as well because we, we did delve into that. One personal anecdote. So years ago in our journalism days, we won an award for covering the opioid crisis. And it was a it was a really it was a wonderful award because it was given from uh, an organization that did a lot on the ground. This is one of those organizations that I would consider top notch in terms of efficacy and approach. It was real on the ground stuff, really, really helping people that were mired in really, really helping people on the ground, doing the hard work, during doing the ugly work, the dirty work that just doesn't get recognized in the boardrooms. So they gave us this award, but by this time I had already done a lot of research, obviously, into historic epidemics in the country and the Nixon, Reagan, Clinton era war on drugs when when it was really at its height, not that it ever really went away. And during the acceptance of the award, I mentioned to the audience that I was embarrassed to actually be receiving the award for this current journalism because our outlet had been around long enough that we could have also then covered the crack cocaine epidemic in in the same way, with the same tenacity and the same resources. And it wasn't a throwaway line. It was pretty much the bulk of my acceptance, just saying that, you know, this this is wonderful for this epidemic, but it only serves to highlight more how we had ignored the real epidemic that gripped communities of color in this country, done in lockstep with the government and law enforcement. And afterwards, there were a few people that came up, and I'm not doing this in a self-serving pat on the back sort of way, even though it sounds like it, but there were a number of people that came up and said, it's so interesting how forgotten that piece of our history is. And these were the caseworkers that that were coming up and saying, our work is the same in, in treating and helping people that are down and out in the opioid epidemic as it was during the height of the crack cocaine epidemic. And yet nobody was recognizing our efforts then for us, it doesn't change. It's all the same. It's an it's an addiction. It is a mental illness. It is a it is a health problem and a disease. But it was never treated that way when those infected by the disease were of color. Only when it became a white problem did this become something that was all of a sudden we were all of a sudden we were the heroes and the healthcare heroes on the front lines. So uh, it's something that I've been attuned to for for a while, Ash, and I appreciate you writing in about it. Check out our mass incarceration war on drugs episode as well, and stay tuned two episodes from now when we go through the Clinton years to talk about the real codification of the war on drugs, because Reagan did a lot. Clinton really drove the nail in the coffin. Now, moving on. Brian B., perhaps consider looking into Hillsdale College and their truly loathsome newsletter, Imprimus or Imprimus. I understand they're extending their reach into K through 12 education as well. Ew. Yeah. So Hillsdale College is a conservative college. I believe it's in Michigan and it uh, it has notable alums such as Eric Prince and Kat Timp from Fox. There's a bunch of uh, Republican politicians that came out of there as well. This is like um, Hillsdale to me in my mind is in the same occupies the same space as George Mason University which was, you know, the birth of the the think tank, the conservative think tank on the East Coast. What about Liberty? Liberty University. Um, have you done certainly a deep, Prager? Have you done a deep? Well, Liberty is a real. A, it is an actual yeah. in, accredited yeah. institution. Have yeah. you done any deep dives like into Liberty and deep and dives? No. 
It's pretty fucking fascinating. There's been a few investigative podcasts. Is it evangelical? Or is it just conservative in, in your recollection? Evangelical meaning like a religious component? Yes. Yes. I thought you meant, I wasn't sure. I don't know like, uh, like when people say like, I'm Catholic or I'm Roman Catholic. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means. So that's why I was like, is there, do you mean, but yeah, it is religious. I do actually have a few friends who went there. No, really? Mm-hmm. What state is that in? Do you remember? Virginia. Okay. I think. Okay. Pretty sure. It's crazy because. <laughs> Does it make those friends? Did that make sense to you that they went there, or did they go there? When like I, this is a great opportunity, and then come out completely one radicalized. One of them, her father is pastor. Sort of. It was sort of like a. I think when they were younger, they were more in touch with their religion by force or by choice. They ended up going there. And yeah, I mean, the the fucking place is like, they've made it like a an amusement park. Like they have all these amenities because they want to keep kids there. Like you're not supposed to go off campus really. You have to sign out, all that type of shit. They have to go to something called convocation every week. So it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's in the fucking basketball stadium. So the whole school has to go. Obviously, I, th I feel like you would thrive there. <laughs> yeah, I love basketball stadiums. But there was all the scandals with, um, what's his face? Jerry Falwell. Mm. Like, so he, he founded it. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and then his son took over. And then there was this whole scandal with <laughs> his son. This Jerry, Wal Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, like, turned it into, like, a weird party school. Weren't they fucking a lot? Yeah. Like, everybody? Yeah, so they would do, like... Like they had Halloween parties and they would like go out on like, you know, they were, they were drunk on these like fucking floats and they they had all these like weird threesomes, which it's like you do whatever you want with your body and your sexual life. But it's like, don't be the the, the head of a fucking Christian college, though. So. Don't pass sodomy laws. God <laughs> damn it. And then what um, Trump's first pick for DeVos's seat, I think, was Jerry Falwell Sr. And he, he turned it down. C junior? One of one of them, and um, Trump was the commencement speaker like, <laughs> fairly recently. Beautiful. Yeah, it's just. I well, we went through that a little bit in the episode talking about James Buchanan from Nancy McLean's book. Mm. How and 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 this was also very much a part of the well, DeVos, Charles and David Koch, Joseph Coors, and those funders that were that were trying to heavily imprint through funding conservative values on institutions and where they couldn't do it, they just started new ones. That was very much part of the of the multifaceted plan that that libertarian strain of the billionaire class felt was really important, that they needed the George Masons, the Hillsdales, and uh, the Liberty Universities to to inculcate conservatism and libertarianism into the next generation of leaders because it was a backlash, obviously, against the the liberal elite in, in academia. Death of the Liberal Class by Chris Hedges does a really good job talking about the failure of the liberal institutions in this country, in particular academia and higher education, because it's one of those things that where we've dispelled the, the myth of liberal media over and over and over on the show talking about how the conservative ecosystem 
in media is so much more substantial and influential than the liberal part of the media. It's not even funny, but they own the narrative. The same thing's kind of true in education where, yes, there are pockets still of extremely liberal educational institutions, but for the most part and on balance, because money is so important and building endowments is so part of the mission and philosophy of most of the big schools in this country, you've seen a watering down of curriculum over time and very liberal, socialist, communist, Marxist professors are out of the power structure and often silenced more so than more mainstream liberal and conservative professors and certainly people in administration. It is such a trope that is, again, owned by the right that higher education is liberal. And then also, you now have these other institutions that are so defiantly conservative and so outwardly conservative because they've been able to say, well, we have to provide a counterbalance to the liberal education system that isn't even liberal anymore. I mean, they just... They're very good at twisting narratives. It's astounding. Yeah. I looked up the names of the podcast I was referring to. So one is In God We Lust, and that's a Wondery podcast, uh, like a five-part miniseries. And then the other one was Season 3 of Gangster Capitalism, which I oh, think- Oh, that's a, not our first shout-out for Gangster yeah, Capitalism. Yeah, a listener just wrote in about it. I actually, I listened, I'm pretty sure I listened to this. I have no memory of it. Like, I remember the content, but- That's a show, not an episode. That's an actual Yeah, they show? did a whole season. Okay. It looks like they have one season on the NRA- that was their season two. Oh, so it's episodic? Like well, it, it's, it's a series of on the same topic? It's like every season is a different topic. Like blowback is. Yeah. yeah. So the first season was the college admission scandal. Mm. The second was the NRA. And the third was just Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty University. Oh, cool. I'm going to listen to those first two. I only listened to this third one. But yeah, I think if you like, um, if you like a, not a true crime feel, but kind of like um, a narrative, human interest, kind of juicy, some scandal, some a little crime because, you know, these people aren't great. I, I recommend it. Okay, cool. Dig yeah. it. Okay, so Sam E. wrote in. <laughs> I like this one. Sam E. said, I have a real bone to pick with Max about his hatred of camping, <laughs> particularly for someone who carried a typewriter to college. <laughs> Up until now, I had always presumed his Luddite nature kept him more grounded than that. But alas... Maybe that is just his projected facade to maintain the basic white guy persona. Huge thank you to both of you for all the laughs. Well, for, okay. <laughs> yes, I carried a typewriter. And also, I'm a very fragile man. I don't do well in the outdoors. All the bugs and so all the fragile dirt. About you. There is a bug in here. You wouldn't kill it? Kill it? My family laughs at me because, except for flies, okay. I scoop every bug up and I, and I put them outside. There's something wrong with that. When I can save a bug, I will. Yeah. Want to hear something traumatizing that happened to me the other day? Sure. I've been thinking about it for five days. Uh-oh. So when I went away last week to see a show, I my apartment was empty for like, I don't know, 48 hours maximum, maybe a little more. So I come back and, you know, I bring all my shit in and I got to pee because I just drove from the office okay. to my apartment. We That's all pee. Fair. Okay, I pee, I get up, I flush the toilet, and I see something moving. There was a fucking centipede in the toilet Oh! the whole time I was peeing. You pooped the centipede? I pooped it out. No, 
I that honestly, I'd prefer that because <laughs> at least <laughs> at least it wasn't there the whole time. Ridiculous. And uh, you know, I was scrolling on my phone, so it wasn't like a like a. I had nowhere to be, so I was like enjoying my bathroom life in my apartment. And the I went <gasps> like that gasp that. It's a true terror gasp. It's not like a like when you see something exciting, like it comes from deep within. And I just started like immediately hyperventilating. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. It wouldn't. I tried flushing the toilet again. It wouldn't die. Oh, wow. It was on the inside. Like it wasn't in mm. the bowl. It was under the rim mm. fucking hiding. Mm. And I really there's like a handful of bugs that I truly can't like I can't do. Can't do stink bugs. OK. I hate them. All right. They tormented me in my dorm room one year. Did they, they? Yeah, they wouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do cockroaches naturally. Okay. Spiders, unless they're very small. Mm-hmm. And centipedes or millipedes, I guess both. I oh. just, they, they, they bring in, they like make me upset. So this was really terrible. You're upset thinking about it right now. I am. It was it was genuinely traumatizing because now I'm afraid to pee in my own house. And yet you'll go lay in the dirt for a week. There's no centipedes in there. Don't you want to hear how I killed it? Sorry. Well, I called my friend, mm-hmm. our friend we work with. Yeah. And I said, I don't know what to do. I said, there's a centipede in my toilet. Our friend drove or no, came no, no, 20 no. minutes no, all the way no, to your no, apartment? No. I just need, I needed emotional support. Uh-huh. And he weirdly said, I knew you were going to call me. He had like a weird, we had a psychic moment. Mm. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? It won't, it won't die. It won't die. So then I got out uh, Clorox bleach and I sprayed him to death and I flushed the toilet. But isn't that terrible? Um, I don't understand. What? I'm the villain here? No, no. It I just in it's my five toilet. days it later called crawled up my butthole. Okay. What? You have a butthole too. I do, but I I, I feel like you know well, that is a sacred maybe... space. Um, okay, if you saw bug crawling on your pillow, wouldn't you feel like kind- freak out? Yeah, and be like on edge for a while in bed. I would be more afraid of it, uh, of something wanting to get into my ear than my butthole. <laughs> well, I wasn't afraid of getting into my ear. I don't from think my, if it wants was... to be near my butthole. <laughs> okay, maybe you have a better butthole. It's I'm not sure about, you do. This is not about my butthole versus your butthole. Kind of sounds like it. It's not. It's about the fact that I'm it, trying to make it that way, invaded though. a sacred space. Okay. It should be safe. All right. My toilet should be safe. So you sprayed it with Clorox and lit it on fire. I just flushed it. And moved. And now every time I go in the bathroom, I have to look under and I'm like, and I flush the toilet to make sure. And then I wait a couple seconds. It's it's very upsetting. I <laughs> I don't feel safe. And then I found a dead one in my closet yesterday when I was cleaning. Sam, <laughs> my best friend in the world and I, before I got married, hiked the Northville Placid leg of the Appalachian Trail. It took us a week. So I have some camping street cred. At the conclusion of that trip, I said, I'm good. It was fucking exhausting. First of all, it was one of the most extraordinary weeks of my life, without a doubt. And also, I would just prefer a hotel nowadays. What did I'm you guys and old. eat? Beans? I didn't really. So, yeah, there was a lot of oatmeal cooking on, on the campfire. Okay. There was, uh, there were a lot of like granola bars and shit like that. What I didn't realize. Eat protein was so my, my best friend is and has always been in unbelievable shape he's one of the strongest like most uh athletic people that i've ever met he's an athlete and 
I, I didn't put it together till like day two that in the bottom of his pack, he had huge jugs of water because he was so afraid that I was going to like dehydrate and die on this trip. So not only did he, not only were we walking and, and just ridiculous, I think it was like 75 miles all in, right? Which is for me a lot, right? But he was lugging literal jugs of water for most of it until we ran out of it because he didn't want me to die and dehydrate. It was, it, again, it was exceptional. Like, I replay a lot of it in my mind because it was so serene and so special and so awesome. So I totally get and understand the camping vibe. And also at this point, have no problem going on a hike and then returning to my hotel room. Now, I know Sam's just fucking with me, but <laughs> I don't really mean to shit on campers except for I am definitely way past the age of pooping in a porta potty. Not going to happen anymore if Some I can avoid it. Some people bring their RVs. There's usually like a separate pass if you want to RV camp. And usually they're older people because RVs are fucking expensive. Yeah. So like even me and my friends, if we wanted to go all in on it, we wouldn't. It'd be... Leading indicator of a recession, classically. Sale of RVs. Interesting. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense because they really are significant investments. Yeah. But yeah, so... And also We Are the Millers is a totally underrated comedy. It's my favorite RV comedy. Uh, Over Vacation. Okay. Which wasn't really an RV, right? That was just them in a... A car. Yeah, in a car, right? Can you name any other ones? No. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some now. Hmm. Wild Thornberries. Didn't see it. Well, it was a TV show. And they had a movie. Okay. But... Is it a cartoon? Yeah. Oh. It counts. Does it? Why shouldn't it? Kinsey said, My friend Mike turned me on to your show. Thanks, Mike. I'm just a social worker with a big old heart, but your podcast has helped me put emotions into words regarding the things I'm passionate about. Keep on keeping. You three are warriors of the good fight. Thanks, Kinsey. I love words like that. Yeah, we ha I've never heard from Kinsey before, so I wanted their words to, to stand. And you're also doing the good fight. Social work? That ain't easy. Yeah, you're doing a better fight than we are. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So the captain, this is a, a reply from last week. I said, captain? I said, what? Okay. No? I don't know what that- Nobody? I don't know what that is. Okay. What is it? It's a song. I mean, obviously. From the 80s. Maybe early 90s. No, 80s. Bye. I'll look it up. Okay. Do, 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 do. Oh, now you're going to play it through your computer for the microphone. This is great podcasting. We're going to win a Webby someday. <laughs> okay, and yep. who is it? Captain Sensible. What? W-O-T. Oh, so his... Actual band is also Captain. Yep. Okay. That's a that's called branding. So the captain, <laughs> not the captain in question, said, thanks for reading out my first message. The band got a kick out of that. 99 asked who we are. Well, we're a local Celtic punk band in central PA called Hold Fast. Anyone interested can check us out on social media, our website, or most streaming services. We mostly sing about drinking women and sea-themed shenanigans. <laughs> Sometimes we can't help letting a progressive leaning shine through our lyrics and live performances, but we're just a silly punk band. So 
I listened to. Did you? I did. And I was I was in a cranky mood yesterday, oh. and then I was like jamming and smiling. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I liked it. So, Captain, we're gonna play some at the end of this episode. Love Hopefully, it. you don't sue us, because <laughs> that would be weird. That would be weird. Yeah, like just don't. But I I fucking loved it. So. I like that we have cool musicians in our cohort. Captain, during your next set, will you do a cover of Captain Sensible's what? No, do a cover of our theme. Oh, that's even better. More better. Yeah. I like it. This is the story of a black old pundit. Looked at the world around him and just said, fuck it. Yeah. I like that. Okay. All right. Let's go over to social media. On the Twitters. Oh, Garel K43 said, why can't more blue states start using their state's rights to win this fight? As a Californian, I'd personally like for Mississippi and red states like that to stop benefiting from my Californian taxes while they criticize California. I, I read this one and I, and I was stuck on it for a while. And I still don't have any, because I'm not a quick person. I'm not a quick-witted man. I am a slow and deliberate man. But the idea of turning states' rights on its head Either by. Do you want to give context to what the accompanying video was? So he was replying to a video of Gavin Newsom talking about them creating their own insulin in California. Yes. So maybe that clears it up a bit for. Yes. You know, we talk a lot about states' rights, though. I mean, that really is not only the central argument and theme of this Supreme Court but has been part of the libertarian mantra for a while. If you can't beat the feds, then start chipping away at federal oversight and allowing states to make their own determinations regarding policies that have historically been national policies. But this idea of turning states' rights on its head, I'm Garel K43, I'm going to be thinking about this a lot more because even if it's from a standpoint of co-opting the narrative in the same way that the right does, or if there are legitimate arguments that don't push us further into civil war, I do want to give this th- some thought. So I appreciate you bringing that up and uh, hopefully I'll have more thoughts on it later. So I think that's all we're going to cover from social media. I know it was, uh, there were a lot of people that were weighing in on some of our more ridiculous fights. Yeah. Sometimes with social, it's hard because, you know, it'll be like someone just bringing an issue to us and then there's a lot of that and, some of it we don't know about or some of it, you know, someone shared something. And then by the time I looked, it had been resolved. So I was like, all right, I mean, you know, there's no reason to bring that up. So we don't always incorporate everything we hear on social. There was one thing I didn't mean to put in that I forgot. So everyone will have to forgive me. But Knudsen shared an article that Jen S was quoted about her protest oh, yeah. that she was doing. So that's really great. She has like a hashtag going. I think if you join their Facebook group, or follow Knudsen, I'm sure he can tweet at him. You'll you just go to our Twitter, you'll like find retweets or whatever, and everyone's in there, or search the unfucker group on uh Facebook. I'll link it too, and you can be connected with people. I did see that from Knudsen. And one one of the things he was saying was, see, you're bringing us together. We are forming a community. So if you're interested in like fucking with these people, because they're just the coolest and they're the best, and they all live in different parts of the country and the world. And they're all kind of rowing together, which is just so fucking neat. Definitely go to on Facebook. It's on fuckers at all. Right. I think. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. You'll definitely see like some. So many of these people are like mini, at least in our world, like mini celebrities. Like I think I would fangirl out as much as as anybody like meeting them in person. You know what I mean? Like 
Like Jen S is fucking crushing it. And we watch her videos and she's doing all this advocacy. Knudsen and Nettie they're in, and Alex out there and out of gamey. They're fucking stars. Like they're just, and they're all coming together. I think it's so cool. So get involved. Get on there, man. I think we're the podcast version of the Packers. The Green Bay Packers? Is there any other? Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. Won't go for the cheap jokes. Mm-hmm. I saw it in your eyes. <laughs> Don't you think, though? I feel like our unfuckers, it might like not be. Like they own us? Like it's a collective? Yeah, yeah. less than an ownership way, but they all own a piece of what we're building yes. because they're making it what we build. I yeah. think about that in my mind. So it's like. These are legitimate stars in our universe. Yeah. I love that. And we have to do good by each other, as in me and you, but also we now have other people who put their reputation on the line to shill for us. So we have to do good by them, too. So yeah, if just, we're big enough, like, we'll make Robert McDermott the most famous man in Ireland. Isn't he already? Wait, we didn't... Should we talk about fucking Boris Johnson? Oh, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> That's, like, huge world news. Yeah, that was big. That was him big. And, maybe him and Trump can, like, go somewhere together. Wouldn't they be so cute together? It's an <laughs> they can interesting get their hair time. done together. So we we could talk about Shinzo Abe. We could talk about oh, yeah. Boris Johnson leaving. Talk about Ivanka saying, my time in government. Oh, my God. Um, you know, Scott Morrison's government coming to a close, Trump era ending, Angela Merkel leaving, how uh, you know, Macron is on the ropes. I think she should Angela. Angela! Like, don't you think she would do better if her name was Angela? I'm pretty sure that At Trump least, has called her Angela. I'm sure. Angela Merkel. <laughs> like like among, Urkel. Um, like, she could come to America. Did I do that? And she could be like, <laughs> Angela M. And people would be like, who's this? Angie, even? Um, no? I don't see her as an Angie. Maybe Big Ange. Big She's Ange. dead, so mm. she could take up that moniker. Big Ange or Large Marge? Who's Big nope. Ange? Uh, I don't know. Google Big Ange. She's from some reality show and she's dead. I don't, oh, okay. that's all I know about her. I just feel like the, there's a passing of an era right now of these, now Angela Merkel was different. Angela. <laughs> was different. She really ran the EU. There's no question about it from an economic and political perspective and a policy perspective. I mean, she was the one, she was the heavy for so many years there. But, you know, coming out of this, whatever this fucking Boris Johnson era was, Bojo. Bojo coming out of ScoMo. Do people call him that? I just came up with it in my mind. They must, right? How Bojo? could they not? Because it like, sounds like Bozo. Or like Rojo out in Wisco. Oh. That fucker. Bojo the clown. There's just, they're they're leaving. They're, there's a passing now. Latin America has a, has a socialist and communist resurgence, which is, I mean, it's happening. Mexico has a, Mexico, Mexico has a socialist. Colombia just elected a socialist. I'm trying to think of what, what what's happening. I'm not as familiar with what's going on in the Pacific Rim, but there, I just there, the seeds are are planted. Like the, I feel like the stage is set for a transformation, to and we're just turn, we're turn, just not turn. following there suit here. Season, turn, Why do we always turn, have to be the outliers? Well, American exceptionalism. The whole world's going to go left and we're just going to keep surging right. We have to get rid of Bolsonaro. That's what we have to fucking do. And he can take Glenn Greenwald on the way out. Ooh. See, look, we don't love him. No, we don't love him. I know, but it, but it in doesn't early diminish. episodes, you. No, it I doesn't just, diminish just you don't need to. The work he no. did on the sur- security and surveillance. Fine. State. I have no opinion on this. 
Let's get into donations. Okay. Weston R. Mm. is very distinguished. Very regal. So Weston has been a proud listener since the inception of this beautiful movement. Thank you. Thank you, Weston. That's pretty cool. And (laughs) Darrell. Jesus Christ. Are you okay? It's either Darrell or Daryl. It's Daryl. I mean, look, I was wrong that one time about- Thank you. What's his face? It could be Darrell. What was his name in the episode? We said a lot. John? No. And you were like, Jahon? No. Remember he was in one of the episodes and we said his name a lot? Goat? No. He was like a bad guy. His last name was this guy's first name. And I said, no one's name is that. I remember and I don't remember the name. Well, remember right now. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm sorry. I'm old. In the, it was in the, in the, in the libertarian episode. Who was the villain? Well, Buchanan was, but that wasn't it. No. Wait, are you talking about a listener or a person in history? Both. The person in history's last name was this listener's first name. Oh. And I said, no one's named that. And you were like, well, this guy's last. And I said, that's a last name. And then he wrote in and said, no, actually, that is how you say my name. I, I got it. Kennan. Oh, George Kennan? Well. And Kennan was the person's first name? Yeah. And I was like, it's Keenan. And you were like, no, Keenan oh, has two Kenan, E's. Oh, Keenan, yes. And I was like, you said Keenan and Cal, Keenan Thompson has two E's. And I said, no, it doesn't. You and were right then, on that. Yes. And But then Kenan wrote in and said, actually, my name is pronounced like Kenan. So, sure, this person could be, what did you call this person? <laughs> Darrell? Dar- no, Darrell? I don't know what you said. Darrell? I don't know what I said either. I'm going to go out of them and say this person's name is Daryl. Okay, and I'm going to say it's Darrell. Maybe it's Darrell. <laughs> you never know. Could be. Yeah, we're open. I've learned my lesson. Well, whoever this is, they're now a member and said, thank you for expanding my mind, world, and understanding. I'm an ignorant old man. You already gave me some extra schooling on reparations. You helped me so much in my perspective, and I can support it now. Well, that makes me feel great. Okay. All right. Chris A is now a member. One more episode to listen to and I'll catch up. Ha 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 That's a catch-up fucker right there. Thanks, Chris. Or they're just making a joke. It's a catch-up fucker. Okay. okay. Let's be clear. I don't want to put that moniker on him without him self-identifying. I think it's obvious and probably more likely than not, like a lot more likely than not that Chris is a catch-up fucker. Okay, whatever. The Ugandan bought seven coffees, one cup for the Broadway phenom McGovern, 99, I'm putting you to task with this little number. I just got paid and I got a little money to spare. Do you know the lyrics? I don't. Neither do I. I was thinking, when I read this, I was thinking of um, the NSYNC song. Just got paid Friday night. That one. But booty all right, I'm shaking it up. all around. Na-na-na-na. And I'm feeling down. Uh, well, T-O-K, money to burn. Nope. Uh, just got paid, got a little money to burn, gotta get laid, gotta find me a sexy girl. That doesn't seem... Doesn't seem like it, does it? Google just got paid (laughs) Broadway. (laughs) I'm assuming... Well, maybe I'm, I'm conflating two things. Because they called Tom the Broadway phenom. I, I'm putting that on Broadway also. Assuming it's because I was singing Bye Bye Birdie, but it could be mm. not. Maybe. Maybe it is that song. Well, we don't know the lyrics, Ugandan, so you're going to have to fill us in. Hey, y'all. Me again. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that the Ugandan did mean T.O.K., Money to Burn, 
uh, instead of money to spare, money to burn. And also, 99, we have to give uh, utmost respect to the original version of Just Got Paid that NSYNC covered, uh, the late, great Johnny Kemp. I implore everyone, if you've only heard the NSYNC song, to listen to the original. Thanks. Well, Max, your mention of Hillary and Bill Clinton being a powerful couple made me think of the Cheneys. Which couple was or has been more insidious with their power? I bring this up because of the documentary Vice. Anyway, I just love you guys. Insidious? <laughs> Cheneys. Cheneys. Cheney is the fucking warriest war criminal out there. More largely influential? Clinton's. That's my feeling on that. Maria from Puerto Rico bought four coffees. Number one. How about Ron Little Dick Santis? That's my suggestion. Fuck that guy. Governor of the armpit of the U.S. indeed, and quickly turning it into the asshole of the U.S. Hashtag FRDS. Two. This episode reminded me yet again why I love this podcast, this community that you're building, and I love you guys. I enjoyed this conversation even more than usual. And number three, my mom loved the mellow Maynard that I gave her. And how about this soon-to-be-formerly-known-as-insane-level membership, something like over-caffeinated or intoxicated or industrial strength level? Thank you for the suggestions, Maria. I like over-caffeinated. I do, too. I think it's on brand for us. It is. What were we tentatively going with at the we had evangelist we had dedicated we had preposterous or ludicrous but i think over caffeinated is the most fun yeah it is shall we make it so yes maria from puerto rico in your honor the now reclaimed insane level membership will be known heretofore as the over caffeinated membership i'll send an email out to all the Previously known as the FKAI. FKAI. <laughs> yeah, FKAIM. Yes. Okay. Fakaib. The unfuckers formerly known as insane level members. Yeah, but then we're still saying it, so that's why I was you using know the acronym. Okay. <laughs> and then Joni M bought three coffees. You guys are unfucking awesome. Good deal. Well, thank you for all of the support. The financial support means the world to us, keeps us keeping on. Keeps we're up to 238 members, by the way. What's your goal, Max? Well, my goal, if I'm being perfectly honest, is about 5,000 members. Does that sound fucking ridiculous? Maybe. No. But I think we can do it. We have fi- at least 5,000 listeners. Well, we know we have tens of thousands of listeners at yeah. this point. Yeah, so... Right? If you haven't become a member, do it. Yeah. Or I'll kill you. Wow. I mean, the <laughs> I'm death threats, they gotta... I know, I know. You know... It's just... They know I'm kidding, and that's what they, they love do, about me. but you're also terrifying. You're I'm little, not really. Once people see me in person, if I decide to not wear a bag over my head... Unfuckers, don't you feel that someday you're going to download your favorite podcast and you're just going to hear, Hey, unfuckers, what's up? It's 99 here. And she's just going to do the whole show and act like nothing ever happened. And I'm going to just... Just be a thing of the past. People are going to write in and be like, what happened to Max? Is he okay? And she won't read it out in show notes either. She's like, it's fine. It's all cool. Manny, how you been? What's going on? As if I'm going to write your essays for you. I don't know. I feel like you could at this point. No, absolutely not. The show would take an entirely different turn. What's up? It's your girl 99 here. We only talk about, like, you know, really... (laughs) Fuck all white men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be a lot of that, a lot of me talking about Taylor Swift and feminism and jam bands and, you know, that like. play a 72-minute riff from Jerry's show in 1974. 
and then come back and kill all white men again. 74 is a good year. Was you it? You always do a classic Europe 72, you know. That one's, people love Europe 72. Speaking of this little banter, we had a review. <laughs> it, I think it technically a comment. A comment? Some platforms oh, good, it's let, not a review? No, some platforms let you comment. Oh. So this was a comment on one episode. John R. said, starting to feel like a time suck. <laughs> Listening to your podcast, so much time wasted talking about whatever. Stick to more progressive issues. So this was on a show notes uh, episode that they commented. Right, so... You don't Again. have to listen to show notes. Show notes is just us talking. Just us being us. Talking through some things. It's how ideas come up for other episodes. It's how we can comment on things that happened in the prior episodes. How we can get listener feedback in there. But if you want to be a fundamentalist unfucker, a strict originalist, you can only listen to the weekend drops. I get it. It's fine. Yeah, it's like if you're watching a TV show, this is like watching the behind the scenes. And, you know, you don't, you're not going to miss anything in the plot right. if you don't listen to this. That's right. I mean, this person might not hear it <laughs> since they're... Right, since it's at the very end of another show notes. They yeah, probably but... won't hear it. But for anybody else that's in John R's shoes, it's like, oh my God, enough already. That's cool. You can dip out of show notes. And there are plenty of times where you, I let you talk for 15 minutes uninterrupted about something progressive. <laughs> you let me. How kind. Well... You can talk whatever you want. It doesn't mean it's going to make it to air. That's true, too. So. So, hey, unfuckers. Can't get to 5,000 members without going through 1,000 first. So I think we that's where we should set our sights over the next year. Let's go from 238 to 1,000. Take people's phones and just enter their credit card information. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Like, if you work at a retail establishment <laughs> and you have access to lots and lots of credit cards, just, you know, write a few down. Yeah. Make them members. That's, that's not a criminal activity. Not in the least. I don't I don't think so. I nah. can't see how any business would foresee that being an issue. It's for a good cause. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, if we get to 1000, then we'll get to 2500. If we can get to 2500, we'll get to 5000, and then we'll just then we'll be fine. That'll be that's all we need. I mean 10 would be fine too, right? 10,000. But we're at 238 right now. We got miles to go on fuckers and so many topics to dig into assuming you know the world doesn't end. Thanks for checking us out this week. Stay tuned for the weekend when we dig into the Clinton years, part two. We're going to go all the way back to examine the roots of the Clinton legacy right up until the presidency. And then part three, the week after, we'll dip into the Clinton years in the Oval Office. Until then, see you later on, fuckers. Enjoy this song from the Captain's Band. Ain't got no money. I spent all day on the dock. I had a ball, but I spent it all at the Silver Shamrock. It's a place the Celtic folks go when they need to get away. I can sit there all day long and spend up all of my pay. No, you got your vices, and clearly I got mine. Don't have a fit, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna leave my woes behind. Over here, I got a new tattoo. the chair, man. I'll have another shot for me. What do you think? I need brand new eggs like a sailor needs the sea. Oh, we don't mind. You got problems, let
It'll pick me up and bring back my luck when my spirit's a 